As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis Podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. But now for today's show. In this series, C.S. Lewis expert Professor Alistair McGrath is delving into the Space Trilogy, arguably one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction. We'll be exploring the three books in the trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, Perilandra and That Hideous Strength. Pleasure seems to be a topic that is explored quite a lot in Perilandra. I mean, when Ransom first arrives on the planet, he says it was almost like meeting pleasure itself for the first time. And then later in the chapter, he says this strange sense of excessive pleasure, which seems somehow to be communicated to him through all of his senses at once. What are we to make of these passages about pleasure? Because, again, we sort of talked about this in a previous episode, but there does sort of seem to be quite an erotic sense to what he's talking about in terms of pleasure in the way that these are described. Well, it's very interesting because um, clearly um, we have to work out whether Ransom is describing, in effect, a world in which pleasure is is experienced more than it would have been on Earth or whether there is, in effect, something sensuous, something something different in quality of the pleasure itself. In other words, are we heightened to it, or is there something about it which is, makes it even more effective towards us? And Lewis doesn't really clarify this, but certainly, um, whereas Ransom's experience of um, uh, Malkandra is strangeness, what is this? Here it seems to be this heightened appreciation of pleasure, I think what what Lewis is getting at here really is that um, that it's almost as if this 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 is an essential part of the dynamic of this world that we have this heightened experience of pleasure, and the question is whether that means that everything gives pleasure or whether it's certain things that give pleasure. I think if I remember rightly, um, there's a, a reference to um, the idea that an aphrodisiac world wouldn't actually have the same impact in Perilandra. Yeah. And maybe that's because everything else is so exciting, so so sensuous, that actually it just wouldn't stand out in comparison. So it's very interesting. Um, why is this? I, I don't know. Um, does it mean that Lewis is saying pleasure is, is a bad thing? I, I'm not sure. I think that really... Um, Really, what is being explored here is whether pleasure leads you to do some very bad things. I think that's a fair question to ask. 
And I'm not sure that Lewis really answers this. Um, I think Lewis really seems to be saying that um, pleasure is morally neutral. It can lead you in some bad ways, can lead you in some good ways, but in itself and of itself, it's neither good nor bad. Do we know then why Ransom's not keen to try the same pleasure twice? Is is Lewis sort of issuing some sort of warning there? Is there a reason for that? I think there could be two possibilities. One is that um, the second time round, the pleasure might take a different form and prove quite destructive. Or there might be this, this fear, you know, you can't step into the same river twice. And therefore, that the second time, it might always be a form of disappointment, that, that you, you would lose the intensity of the experience. It's not explained, I'm afraid. It's just a kind of reflection, which is very interesting to follow through. And I guess sort of mixed in with, with some of this idea that pleasure is perhaps, uh, you know, linked to sort of sexual attraction. Do we know if Ransom feels sexually attracted towards the green lady, as Western seems to imply? Well, there are passages which do seem to suggest he experiences pleasure in her presence or pleasure at the thought of her. Um, now, the question is whether that is a sexual illusion or whether, in effect, there's a heightened perception of these things, which means that this is something that is that is not specific to any particular individual sex. Uh, it's, it's a very difficult question because Lewis doesn't really give us enough to 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 go on here. And I guess he's sort of perhaps making the assumption that we often tend to corrupt, if that's the right word, the concept of pleasure. I mean, it, it, is Lewis sort of trying to make a particular point here? There's, there's a line where he says, there was an exuberance or prodigality of sweetness about the mere act of living, which our race finds it difficult not to associate with the forbidden and extravagant actions. Is Lewis sort of making a point there, do you think? I'm sure he is. I mean, I think he, he is saying something like this. Maybe it's not pleasure itself that's a good or bad thing. It's our response to it. And maybe we make it to be good or make it to be bad by whether we deal with it properly or whether we, we kind of lose ourselves in it. So he may be trying to force us to think on the need for us to make a judgment and hence a wise decision about how we relate to this. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. 
Now, one of the things that has sort of struck me as, as quite interesting, I, I wouldn't have expected some of the words that Lewis uses to appear in a novel of uh, of this age. I mean, one of the um, things he talks about is a transsensuous life versus a non-sensuous life. Do you have any idea what Lewis means when he talks about those two words? I think he's getting at um, almost, if I'm put like this, a, a need to ask whether um, there is something specific about a man and a woman and the nature of their relationship between them, or whether actually this is something that we almost create and hence interpret everything in the light of that. And I think, again, it's one of these counterfactual things where, where Lewis is saying, supposing it's not that a man is necessarily attracted to a woman, supposing we're just over-interpreting these categories, is there the possibility of some sort of um, attraction on other axes, if I'm put like that? And Lewis isn't coming to an answer, but he is, in effect, um, opening up the question of um, why, what, what draws us to other people? Is it sexual? Or indeed, if I'm put like that, whether whether there has to be this sexual dimension, whether in effect there's some way of filtering that out and we just have a human interaction with each other which is independent of gender. Now, again, he, he doesn't really answer those questions, but again, he gives us a framework, I think, for exploration. He also uses the word transsexual, but he obviously employs it in quite a different way to what we would take it to mean in modern society, doesn't he? Yes, he does. I mean, it's an interesting word, and I, I, I think that he, he's using it for his own purposes. But again, it, it, the, the overall discussion he's having is actually really quite important because he's inviting us to think, you know, what is a relationship? What do we value in a relationship? And to what extent does gender come into these relationships? In The Four Loves, as you probably know, um, Lewis tends to depict friendship really in relationships between men. It, it's, it's a rather curious thing. But actually, that's because um, the Inklings was all male. I think maybe we can see here a rare moment of reflection on um, relationships across genders, but very much on intellectual appreciation lines. There are some really puzzling passages, you've touched on them already, around gender and sex in Perilandra, you know, the kind of the difference between gender and sex. I mean, some of the lines, like for instance, um, he says, uh, Malacandra, the planet, was masculine, not male. Perilandra was feminine, not female. I mean, do we have any idea what he was trying to imply here? Was was he implying that there was a difference between masculine and male and feminine and female? Or is it all a bit kind of up in the air as to, as to what he meant by some of these things? There was a debate at the time Lewis was writing this book about what masculinity was all about. Um, and it, it was quite an important issue because um, an awful lot of books being written to, in effect, offer role models to men and role models to women. I think one of the things that Lewis is really questioning is not so much gender as the role models linked with gender. Well, they, they can be detached. So in effect, you can switch them around or indeed um, combine them. So I think what, what Lewis is really doing here is, is saying, perhaps we need to rethink the natural, the, 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 the intuitive cultural judgment that to be this gender is to have these social roles. And, and that might be what Lewis is trying to get at here. But Again, it is 
quite strange because at several points, um, you know, he talks about the real meaning of gender and it doesn't actually explicitly say what that real meaning is. I think that, um, if I put it like this, um, he almost seems to be saying that, um, that you can draw a distinction between biological and cultural aspects of gender. Um, but it, it's not sufficiently unpacked to allow us to develop it in more detail. Because he also talks about this sort of a throwaway line in that hideous strength where he talks about seven genders. I mean, do we have any idea what he's talking about there? <laughs> no, I don't think we do. I think that, um, again, you know, he's echoing ideas that were being explored about whether you had to be gendered, about whether there's some kind of hermaphroditic possibility. And um, these were being discussed at the time. And what Lewis is really trying to do is, is to position this uh, against the backdrop of a cultural discussion and trying to open up some questions as a result. I mean, obviously, as we've said, the way that Lewis was talking about this is not quite the way that we're talking about things in today's society. But do you know if Lewis would have had any thoughts at all around gender identity and some of the big topics that are being discussed in this area today? I think Lewis did regard gender identity as um, as fixed. But um, one of the points he makes here and elsewhere is that the social um, obligations, the social roles played, are actually partially culturally conditioned. And therefore, we have to be much more attuned to different social roles being open than would have been the case, for example, in British society of the 1930s, when things were very stereotyped. And those ideas were beginning to be questioned as a result of the First World War, where women did men's roles, because men were away at the front fighting. So this was a live discussion at the time. But Lewis, I don't think, really moves beyond that to think about whether gender is something that is assigned or whether it's something we create. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And do register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time.